I want to start off this morning by asking you a question, just by a show of hands. I want you to tell me, how many of you like to eat liver and onions? Let me see your hands. Liver and onions. Well, that's, that's a pretty good number. That's more than I, than, than I expected. That's, that's pretty good. Um, I don't eat liver and onions. I've never tried it. It just it's never seemed uh, appetizing to me. Um, I'm pretty conservative when it comes to, to food. Uh, and maybe it's, maybe it's because it's always paired with onions and I don't eat onions. Uh, but I, I was reading this week that apparently liver, I don't know if this is true, you can tell me. But from something I read this week, apparently liver has a metallic taste. I don't even know what a metallic taste is. I mean, I think I do. but So that's why they say they often pair it with onions to kind of mask that flavor. I don't know. But uh, in my mind, liver is one of those foods that is, is not... I mean, it's not appealing to me. And, and I'm not trying to offend you. If you like it, eat it. You know, there's stuff that I eat that you may not eat. Like, uh, well, fish. I eat, I eat fish. I, I, you know, when it comes to Mexican food, those of us who grew up eating Mexican food, some of the stuff we eat, you have to admit it. You know, like uh, menudo. Somebody who doesn't eat that, they're like, oh, do you eat that? Or barbacoa with the uh, brain and the tongue. And, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, you eat that, right? So I eat that. No, I eat that. But when it comes to liver and onions, that's not very popular with me. And the reason I, men- I mention that is because in my mind, it's, uh, liver and onions are just liver. You know, it's, it's often relegated to a place of lesser importance. In my mind, liver and onions is like set off to the side. I ignore it. Uh, I don't want to even uh, attempt it. It's not the first thing that comes to mind. It won't be the first thing that comes to mind after the service when we, I, my wife and I talk about, where are we going to go eat? Let's go get some liver and onions. No, that never happens. Let's go get some Mexican food. Happens a lot, but not liver and onions. It's just always relegated to a place of of lesser importance. Uh, In fact, I think there is such a negative connotation for some people behind eating liver and onions or eating liver that when someone is feeling relegated to a place of lesser importance, when somebody is feeling ignored or, or rejected or set off to the side, he might often respond by saying, Hey, what am I? Chopped liver? Like, why are you ignoring me? I'm here. For example, imagine that you're at your job. Let's just say that you're a security officer at your job. You're a security officer at your job. And someone comes to you and says to you, you know what we really need here is a security officer. And you'd say, look, hello, what am I? Chopped liver? Like, why are you ignoring me? I'm here. And it's really bad if your boss comes to you and says, you know what we really need here is a security officer. And that's not, good, not a good sign. But uh, today we're going to continue this series, Once Upon a Time, Ancient Stories, Ageless Truths. And we're looking at some ancient stories from the Old Testament that even though they're, they're ancient, they, they still have lessons for us today in our contemporary society. And today's story is another ancient story that took place around 860 years before Christ. So this goes way back. And it's a story about a king, a king of, of Israel. And you've got to remember that Israel was, was God's uh, chosen nation. They were God's chosen people. But this king had a problem. And in fact, he had several problems. And instead of going to the God of Israel, the God who had chosen Israel as his special people, he went to another God. He went to a false God to ask for help. But God interrupted the proceedings because the king sent some messengers to the temple of this false God 
to go ask for help for his situation and, you know, ask for a revelation, ask for insight. But God interrupted those proceedings to ask the king, what am I, chopped liver? Well, not really. He didn't say that, but he did ask this. Is there not a God in Israel? Is there not a God? This is God asking the king. Is there not a God in Israel that you're going somewhere else to a false God, to a fake God to ask for help? So we find this story in 2 Kings chapter 1. And I want us to start reading with verse 1. So if you'd follow along in your Bibles. After King Ahab's death, the land of Moab rebelled against Israel. Now we, we read about King Ahab last week in our story of last week. So after King Ahab's death, the land of Moab rebelled against Israel. We'll get back to that storyline here in a little bit. Verse 2. One day Israel's new king, Ahaziah, fell through the lattice work of an upper room at his palace in Samaria and was seriously injured. So he sent messengers to the temple of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, to ask whether he would recover. But the angel of the Lord told Elijah, who was from Tishbe, Go and confront the messengers of the king of Samaria and ask them, Is there no God in Israel? Why are you going to Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, to ask whether the king will recover? Now, therefore, this is what the Lord says. You will never leave the bed you are lying on. You will surely die. So Elijah went to deliver the message. Now, our story last week involved this king named Ahab, who, remember, he wanted to buy a field from a man named Naboth. And Ahab's wife was a wicked Jezebel. Now, Ahab was no saint himself, but Jezebel set the standard for evil and wickedness. She was a, an evil person. And Ahab and Jezebel had a son named Hazariah, who became king when Ahab died. So today's story then is a rather embarrassing situation because this king now, King Ahaziah, fell out of a window and injured himself seriously and that led to his death. That's kind of embarrassing because his father Ahab died in battle. The way his father died is he was in battle and he was shot with, a, uh, with a, an arrow that pierced through his armor and he was propped up. They propped him up to make, him think, make people think that he wasn't injured. He was propped up all day while his blood drained from him. And eventually, at the end of the day, he died. And when they washed out his chariot of the blood, the Bible says the dogs licked up the blood. Now, if you remember last week's story, last, last week's story, God had told, uh, through a prophet, God had told Ahab, that's exactly what was going to happen when he died. The dogs would lick up his blood. And so, but, you know, you think, well, at least he died in battle. His son dies falling out of a window. He became injured falling out of a, a window. And so when he became injured, and as I said, that led to his death. Instead of looking to God, the God of Israel, because he was a king of Israel. Instead of looking to God for help, he turned to Baal. Now, there were different gods named Baal. This is Beelzebub, the Lord of the Flies, is who he went to uh, ask for insight. The, the question was, will I recover? He wasn't even asking, come and heal me. Uh, he just said, hey, I want to know, will I recover? And God did not take this lightly. And so he sent Elijah with a message for the king that said, is there no God in Israel that you would go to Ekron, to Beelzebub, for help? 
So because of this, you will not recover, you will surely die. Now Elijah delivered this message to the men that the king had sent to Ekron, to the temple of Baal. So he, he sent some messengers to the temple of Baal. But they didn't make it all the way to Ekron. Elijah met them halfway with this message. And so they returned to the king, to, to King Ahaziah. And when they got back to Samaria, he was surprised that they got back so quickly. He knew how long this trip should take. So he was surprised that they returned so soon. And he asked them, are you back so soon? And they said, yes, a man came up to us as we were heading out there. A man came up to us and told us to give you this message. The message is, is there no God in Israel? Why are you sending men to Beelzebub to ask whether you will recover? Therefore, because you have done this, you will not leave the bed you're lying on. You will surely die. Now at this point, you think Ahaziah would, would be... Uh, stirred. You think he would, he would say, oh my, what have I done? You think maybe he even dropped to his knees and say, God forgive me. You think he'd repent, but no, his question was, oh really, what did this man look like? And the messenger said, well, he was a hairy man. He was a hairy man and he wore a leather belt around his waist. And the king said, I know who that is. That's Elijah the Tishbite. That's Elijah from Tishbe. And he became angry at that. And he determined that he was going to put a stop to Elijah and to Elijah's message. Like, if you, you, you kill the messenger, you get rid of the message, right? Maybe that's what he was thinking. It was wrong. But he determined to put a stop to Elijah and to his prophecies. So he sent one of his commanders, one of his captains, with 50 men. This is like a, like a SWAT team. They're going to go and they're going to arrest. It's going to be 51 against 1. They're going to arrest Elijah. So they went to try to bring him back. He gave him. The instructions, go bring Elijah back to me. And so we know he had no good intentions with him. So they went out and they found Elijah at the top of a hill. And we pick up the story in verse 9. Look at verse 9. Then he sent an army captain with 50 soldiers to arrest him. They found him sitting on top of a hill. The captain said to him, man of God, the king has commanded you to come down with us. The king has commanded you. You're commanded. Come down with us. Come back to the palace with us. Verse 10. But Elijah replied to the captain. To the captain. If I am a man of God. Let fire come down from heaven. And destroy you and your 50 men. Then fire fell down from heaven. And killed them all. And all I can say is. Wow. If there were people. And surely there were people. Around there watching this. I can only imagine that they looked at each other and said, Did we just see fire come down from heaven and kill everybody? Burn everybody up? Yeah, I think I saw that. Oh, okay. You know, because the word got back to, to the king of what had happened. And uh, verse 13, look at verse 13. I'm sorry, verse 11. So the king sent another captain with 50 men. See, the king was so mad at Elijah. He sent another captain with 50 men. The captain said to him, Man of God, the king demands that you come down at once. And Elijah replied, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and destroy you and your 50 men. And again, the fire of God fell from heaven and killed them all. Wow, twice. Who says lightning doesn't strike twice? 
when God's in control, he, he controls everything, right? So word gets back to the king again. And you think by this time the king would say, okay, maybe, 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 maybe I should not continue down this path. But no. Once more, the king sent a third captain with 50 men. But this time, the captain went up the hill. So he didn't just command from the bottom of the hill, come down here. But he went up the hill. He fell to his knees before Elijah. He pleaded with him, O man of God, please spare my life and the lives of these, your 50 servants. See how the fire from heaven came down and destroyed the first two groups. But now, please spare my life. He took a totally different approach. And it paid off for him because God spoke to Elijah and said, Okay, go, go back with him. It's going to be okay. Just go back with him. So he did go down the hill with this man. And this time he went to deliver the message, the same message to the king in person. Look at verse 16. And Elijah said to the king, This is what the Lord says. Why did you send messengers to Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, to ask whether you will recover? Is there no God in Israel to answer your question? Therefore, because you have done this, you will never leave the bed you are lying on. You will surely die. So Ahaziah died just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Since Ahaziah did not have a son to succeed him, his brother Joram became the next king. And then he gives us just a historical context. This took place in the second year of the reign of Jehoram, son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And the question that continues to resonate in our minds this morning is, is there no God? Is there no God in Israel? Is there no God here? Is there no God in the U.S.? Is there no God in San Angelo? Is there no God in your family? Is there no God in your life? Because sometimes when something good happens to us, have you ever said this? Something good happens to us, maybe something we didn't expect. We, we might say, oh, there is a God. <laughs> Look at that. You're on time to work. There is a God. Or whatever silly reason we might say that. But the question is, do we always live as if there is a God? Do we always believe that there is a God we can turn to? A God who knows, who knows all things and sees all things and judges all things. Is there no God? I believe God continues to ask to ask us this question today. There might be things we go through and decisions we make where God would say to us, I don't understand. Is there no God? Have I not been your God? Why do you choose to ignore me? Why do you choose to put other things ahead of me? Is there no God? You know, what is the answer to that question? Obviously, the answer to the question is yes. Is there no God in Israel? Yes, there's a God in Israel. Is there no God here in, in this country? Is there no God in our lives? Yes, there's a God. And He controls every aspect of our lives. There is a God. And He controls the social, political events of our world. Because verse 1 tells us that Moab, the country of Moab, rebelled against Israel. And then it seems to just tell us that and that leaves it alone. But actually in, verse, in chapter 3, rather, it goes back to that story. Because Moab, Moab was an enemy nation of Israel that had been subdued by King David several kings earlier. And since 
his reign, since the time that they were subdued by the king, then the nation of Moab paid tribute to the nation of Israel. They brought gifts to the king of Israel. During the reign of Ahab, Ahaziah's father, during his reign, Moab paid Israel a tribute of 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. So for over a hundred years, they had been subject to Israel. But now, after learning of the defeat of Ahab, this is a battle where Ahab was killed, where he was killed by an arrow, where he was propped up and he bled to death. After that, when Moab found that out, they decided it was a good time to rebel against Israel. So what we're seeing here is the, the decline of the power the decline of the glory of the kingdom of Israel because they had rejected God. And we know that God allowed this to happen because God controls the social, political events in our world. You see, Ahaziah had a serious problem on his hands now with Moab. He had a serious problem, but he still didn't turn to God for help. God was allowing this, perhaps giving Ahaziah an opportunity to repent of his sins, perhaps giving, giving him an opportunity to turn to him for help, but Ahaziah instead turned to idolatry. He turned to a false god, to a fake god. And so we have to be careful as we look at, at our world, as we look at what's going on in the world, in our country, and, in, and all over the world, that we, we trust God and we turn to God in our time of need. Now I believe in, in voting. And I hope that all of you uh, do too. And that you vote. You practice that uh, right that we have. I believe in voting for the right candidate. I believe in voting for the right issues. In terms of biblical revelation that we have. But I think the answer to many of our problems. Is not only in voting for the right person. But in trusting the right God. And sometimes voting for a person and trusting God actually seem to be in conflict. Because if we place our trust in a certain candidate that violates God's laws, then God may ask us, is there no God in this country that you would trust me? And let me sort out the issues? Is there not a God here in this country? Why are you trusting this candidate that violates my laws, that ignores my law, my word, instead of trusting me to deal with this country? There is a God. There is a God. And He controls the social, political events of our world. There is a God and He controls the world's economies. Right down to our personal finances. He controls the world's economies and our personal finances. There's a parallel story in Second Chronicles chapter 20. We get a little more information about King Ahaziah. At the, at the time that he was a king of Israel. Remember we were talking about the divided kingdom. There was a northern kingdom of Israel. And there was a southern kingdom of Judah. At one time they were one country, but at this point they're divided. And King Hezariah was, uh, was a uh, king of Israel. And um, the king of Judah was Jehoshaphat. And not Hezariah, but Ahaziah. And so the, the king of Israel and king of Judah got together. And they decided they were going to enter into a shipbuilding venture together. Together they built a fleet of trading ships, expecting to make a lot of money. But they didn't consult God about this. And so God wasn't pleased. God sent a prophet named Eliezer to tell them that because of Ahaziah's 
wickedness, their business venture would fail. That God would somehow destroy their work. And sure enough, the, the ships, and we're not told how, but the ships were somehow destroyed before they even went out to sea. All their money was lost. All their investment was lost. Because God controls the economies down to our personal finances. That's why we should learn to trust God about our finances, with our finances. That's why we should learn to trust and practice what God says about finances in the Bible. What God says about the economy, what God says about how we handle finances, it's all laid out in the scriptures. We don't have to guess, we just have to obey. We just have to obey what God says. And, and some of you here, uh, if I asked you to give us a testimony of the faithfulness of God because you believed God, because you, you trusted God with your personal finances, you would be able to, to tell us how God has opened doors, how God has blessed you abundantly more than you're even able to contain. But we have to believe that there is a God and that He controls the world's economies right down to our personal finances. Because God must be asking that when we ignore Him with our finances. When we look the other way from the biblical principles of, of uh, money management, God must be saying, Hello, is there no God here that wants to bless you if you'll just obey me? There is a God. There is a God. And He controls the world's economies and our personal finances. Thirdly, we know that there is a God. In answer to this question, is there no God? There is a God. And He controls our physical and material world, including our health. As I ignored the fact that our health comes from God. When he became injured, he didn't look to God for help. And God judged him by allowing him to die. When Ahaziah became so angry that he sent an army captain with 50 men on three occasions to arrest Elijah, God the first two times, as we just read, God simply rained fire down from heaven and killed them all. Who is like this God? There is a God, and He controls every aspect of this world, including the physical and material world. But even after all this, Ahaziah never repented. He continued to send men to arrest Elijah after the first time. The third man did repent. The third man did recognize God's sovereignty, God's power. And he asked Elijah for mercy. And that's how we should respond to God. Ask Him for help. Ask Him for, to, to have mercy on us. Because He has our lives in His hand. So when, when we need help, when we need healing... We turn to God, and sometimes we know God uses, God uses the medical profession to bring healing, and sometimes He doesn't. Sometimes He does it directly. With, with another king that was, that was sick, King Hezekiah was an illness unto death, and he prayed to God, and, and uh, God answered his prayer. God told the prophet, I want you to prepare this, this medicine, and I want you to apply it to him. God could have healed him without that, without that medicine, without that preparation, but God chose to use that. So we know God sometimes uses the medical profession, but we learn to trust in God because God controls our physical and material world. Now, what, what lessons can we learn from this story? Let me leave with you a couple of lessons from this story for us. It's a, it's a fascinating story. It's a fascinating story. 
tell people, this is why you should read the Bible. We have all kinds of great stories in the Bible that you've never imagined. Fire come down from heaven, just crazy. What can we learn from this? The first thing is this. When God gets your attention, pay attention. When God gets your attention through a crisis, through a problem, through a series of problems, pay attention. There is no doubt that God was trying to get Ahaziah's attention. With Moab rebelling against him, with his shipbuilding fiasco, with a serious injury falling out of a window, with a man being killed by fire. God was obviously trying to say something to this man, but he never acknowledged that. He never repented. When God gets your attention, pay attention. If you're going through a trial or a series of trials, God may be trying to get your attention. Pay attention. Repent. Acknowledge. Change your ways. Cry out to God for help. And, and I'm not trying to say that every problem we go through is because you're disobeying God, because you're in rebellion, because you're in sin, and God is trying to get your attention because of that. Not every time, but it could be, and, and you probably know. If you were to ask, how do I know if, if, if God's trying to get my attention because I'm doing something wrong? You probably know. I mean, you, you know your life. You know your decisions. You probably think about that. Oh, I think I know why God may be allowing this. Don't ignore God when He's trying to get your attention. Because to ignore God is to deny God. To ignore God is to deny faith in God. So when God allows something in your life, and He says, Hello, is there no God that you... You're not turning to me right now? That you're not trusting me right now? Then pay attention. Don't be like the king who, with all these things happening, all this, this series of events happening to him, he still did not repent. So, when God gets your attention, pay attention. Respond in humility. Humble yourself. Respond in repentance. And finally, this lesson Never, ever look past God for help. This, my friends, is idolatry. This is idolatry. Never look past God for help. Never look past God to other institutions. Never look past God to a relationship to try to bring the peace and the joy that only God can bring. Never look past God to activities that you think are going to help you, going to help your kids, going to help your family. This is idolatry. To look past God and to give all our attention, our effort, our time, our schedule, our finances, our emotions, everything, our focus to something else that leaves God out of the equation. This, my friends, is idolatry. The help you need in your life is found in God alone. The help you need with your family it's found in God alone. The help you need with your finances, it's found in God alone. The help you need with your health, the help you need in your marriage, that help is found only in God. Anything you look to for help apart from God won't work. Anything you look to for help apart from God will eventually fall apart. If you look for help apart from God, 
that help will fall apart without God. Now, God won't strike you dead. I don't think God will strike you dead. I don't think he'll send fire from heaven to strike you dead. I'm not saying you're going to fall out of a window and hurt yourself seriously. But he may leave you to your own devices. He may leave you to your own human wisdom. He may leave you to your own strength to figure things out. And folks, that never ends well. If God says to you, is there no God that you're ignoring me and going off and doing other things? Okay, go off and look for help somewhere else. Go off and, and look for help for your children here or there. Leave me out. I'll let you figure it out. And that never ends well. So don't look past God. Look to God for help. God is asking us today, is there no God? That I haven't heard from you in two, three days, in two, three weeks. Is there no God? What am I? Is there no God that you continually ignore me? And you give your attention to other things? Well, the answer we all know is there is a God. His name is Jesus. He loves you. He wants to cover you with His blessing and protection. You and your family but we must turn to Him. We must trust in Him. Trust Him today. And as I said to you last week, and if you weren't here last week, listen to that message online. As I said to you last week, trust God to fill in the gaps of your life. The things you're trying to fill in yourself, turn to God, and He'll fill in the gaps. If you trust Him, He'll fill in the gaps. So today, as that question reverberates in our minds, is there no God? Answer him, yes, God. I know that you are the one and true God. I'm sorry for the times that I have ignored you. I'm sorry for the times that I've gone and done my own things, tried to solve my own problems, live my own life as if you didn't exist. I'm sorry for that. And today, I turn back to you today. I trust in you.